Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on the great doctrines of the Christian faith using the Belgic Confession of Faith as our guide. This week we'll be considering the doctrine of the divinity of Jesus Christ. And in that connection, I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, as we read the verses 34 to 46. Hear God's word. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him any more. This ends the reading of the holy and inspired word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of it to our hearts today. Dear friends, one of the most important questions we could ever ask is, who is Jesus Christ? How would you answer that question? Who is Jesus Christ? Who is he for you personally? The Lord himself asked this question of the scribes and the Pharisees. We read together from Matthew 22, and there we read how Jesus and the disciples were in Jerusalem, and they had gone there in order to celebrate the Passover feast. This would be the last time that they would celebrate this feast together. Within a couple of days, Jesus would be arrested and put to death. While they were there, Jesus disputed with the religious leaders of the Jews who had plotted together to entangle him in his words. The first to to try to trip him up were the Pharisees. They came to Jesus and they asked him whether it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not. And they figured that if Jesus said no, they could accuse him of being an insurrectionist. But if he said yes, they could accuse him of collaborating with the Romans. But Jesus, perceiving their wickedness, asked for a coin. And he held it up. And he asked those who were standing next to him whose image was inscribed on the coin, And the Pharisees had no choice but to answer Caesar's. Well, then Jesus said to them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. The second group to try to trip him up were the Sadducees. The Sadducees denied the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. And they presented to him a most unlikely scenario about a woman who was widowed seven times. And they wanted to know whose wife she would be in the resurrection. 
But Jesus informed them that in the resurrection, men neither marry nor are given in marriage, but, he says, are like the angels of God in heaven, and that in turn betrayed their own ignorance. The third group to try to trip him up were the scribes. They wanted to know which was the greatest commandment in the law. And in this way, they sought to accuse him of elevating one commandment over the others. But Jesus answered and said that the greatest commandment in the law was, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, soul, and with all thy strength. And the second, he said, is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So three times the religious leaders of the Jews tried to trip Jesus up, and every time they failed. Well, then it was Jesus' turn. Matthew tells us that while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of the Christ? Whose son is he? Now, as I said, this is one of the most important questions we could ever ask. Our answer to this question will determine our eternal destiny. And Jesus understood that. And that's why he asked them the question, What think ye of the Christ? Whose son is he? Well, in answer to that question, the Pharisees replied that the Christ was the son of David, and they were absolutely correct. This, in fact, is what the Old Testament teaches. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, the Lord said to David, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This was a, a prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. And God here promised that the Messiah would come from David's line. He would be the son of David. And so upon hearing this answer, Jesus asked them why it was that David in Psalm 110 called him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. If David calls him Lord, Jesus asked, how then is he his son? And you see the point that Jesus was driving at. His point was that the Messiah must be more than a mere man. He must be also very God. For David himself had said so. Well, we come in our study of the great doctrines of Scripture to the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. The last time we considered the doctrine of the Trinity, and we saw that God is one in essence, but three in person. And these three persons are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we also saw that each of these three persons is co-eternal, co-equal, and co-essential. And now as if to reinforce that truth, the Belgic Confession of Faith, which we've been studying together, focuses on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the theme for the sermon today, the deity of Christ. And we'll see that his deity is revealed in the scriptures and it is relevant for the believer. The scriptures clearly teach that the Lord Jesus Christ was not only fully human, but he was also fully divine. Now sadly, not everyone believes this. Beginning in the very first few centuries AD, there were those who questioned and even denied this fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. Perhaps the most famous of these was a man by the name of Arius. 
Arius was a theologian who lived from 256 to 336 A.D. According to Arius, Jesus was a created being, a kind of a super angel. He was the first and most significant and most powerful created being, but a created being nonetheless. Well, Arius' teachings were strongly opposed by the church father Athanasius, who argued that Jesus is not a created being, but he is co-eternal and co-essential and co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. In the end, the great council of Nicaea, which was held in the year 325 AD, accepted Athanasius' view and condemned the view of Arius and his followers as heresy. Well, although Arius' views were condemned by the church many years ago, they live on in one form or another still today. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, Christadelphians, and Unitarians all deny that Jesus is God, that he is co-equal, co-eternal, and co-essential with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Even some liberal ministers and so-called mainstream Protestant churches deny this same truth. They will say many good things about Jesus. They will say that he was a good man, and he was a great teacher, but they deny that he is divine. Well, over and against this, we affirm without apology and without qualification what the scriptures teach, namely that Jesus is divine. What we believe on this matter is succinctly summarized in Article 10 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. And there we confess as follows, and I quote, Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, is the only begotten Son of God, begotten from eternity, not made nor created, for then he would be a creature, but co-essential and co-eternal with the Father, the express image of his person and the brightness of his glory equal unto him in all things. Now, several statements here are made concerning the deity of Christ. First of all, it is stated here that Christ is begotten of God. Now that word begotten can be found in many places in the scriptures, especially in the writings of the Apostle John. What does it mean? Well, normally the word begotten means to sire. For example, Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob and Esau, and so on. But when we apply this word to the Lord Jesus Christ, it takes on a different meaning. When we say that Christ was begotten of the Father, we mean he was generated by the Father. Just as the sun in the sky continuously generates light and heat, so the Father, from all eternity, continuously generates the Son, which is precisely why the Father is called the Father, or the first person of the Trinity, and the Son is called the Son, or the second person of the Trinity. The second statement that's made here is that Christ is begotten from eternity, not made or created. Now that statement directly counters the teaching of Arius. We've seen already that Arius believed that Jesus was not God, but a created being. And he based this on the fact that the Bible says he was begotten. To say that Jesus was begotten, he said, implies that there was a time when he was not. And if there was a time when he was not, then Jesus is not God. But consistent with the Athanasian and Nicene creeds, our confession affirms that Christ was begotten from eternity. In other words, 
there never was a time when he was not. And as such, Jesus is fully divine. The third statement is made here that Christ is co-essential and co-eternal with the Father, the express image of his person and the brightness of his glory equal unto him in all things. Now again, several statements are made here. We confess here that Christ is co-essential with the Father. That means that he shares in the same divine essence as the Father. The Son is as fully God as God the Father is God. We also confess that Christ is co-eternal with the Father. That means he existed with the Father from all eternity. There never was a time when he was not with the Father. Confess here, too, that Christ is the express image of his person. That phrase is taken from Hebrews 1, verse 3. It indicates that Jesus is the exact replica of his Father. The Father is fully and completely revealed in him. He is also the brightness of his glory. Again, that phrase is also taken from Hebrews 1, verse 3. Just as the moon reflects the light of the sun, so the Son of God reflects the glory of his Father. Finally, we confess here that Christ is equal unto the Father in all things. So that means he's not subordinate to the Father in any way. He is equal to him in majesty, in power, and in glory. Well, this is what the church confesses concerning the deity of Jesus Christ. We confess that he is fully divine. We could say that he is just as divine as the Father and the Holy Spirit. And as such, our confession says at the end, that he is worthy to be invoked, worshipped, and served. But you may ask, on what basis does the church confess this? What is the basis for our confession that Jesus is fully divine? Well, our basis is, of course, the word of God. Everything we believe is based on the word of God, and this doctrine is no exception. And our confession cites several texts to prove that Jesus is divine. The first reference is made to Genesis 1, verse 1, which says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that is then connected to John 1, verse 3, which says that all things were made by him, speaking of Christ, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the point being made here is that Christ made the world. And since Genesis 1, verse 1 says that God made the world, Christ must be God. And that's substantiated by two other verses, Hebrews 1, verse 2, and Colossians 1, verse 16, which both say that God created the world by his Son. Well, following this, our confession cites two more verses from Scripture, Micah 5, verse 2, which says that the ruler in Israel, that's Christ, traces his origin from of old, from everlasting, meaning from eternity. Since only God is eternal, therefore Christ is God. Another reference made here is to Hebrews 7 verse 3, which says that Melchizedek, who was a type of Christ, was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but was made like unto the Son of God. And in addition to those verses, we can state the following. We can say that God the Father says that Jesus was God. In Hebrews 1, verse 8, the Father says concerning the Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And at the baptism of the Lord Jesus and on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father sounded from heaven with these words, This is my beloved Son 
in whom I am well pleased. What is more, Jesus himself said that he was God. In John 8, verse 58, Jesus said to the Jews of Jerusalem, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. And those words, I am, echo the words that God spoke to Moses at the burning bush. You may remember when Moses asked God whom he should say had sent him back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let the people go, God replied to tell them that I am has sent you. And so when Jesus says before Abraham was I am, he was not only claiming to be eternal, he was claiming to be divine. In fact, he was claiming to be the same God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. And that was not lost on the Jews And that's evident, for we read in the next verse that they took up stones to cast at him. We also know from the scriptures that the disciples said that he was God. When Jesus and the disciples were making their way to Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked them, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they replied, Well, some say thou art Jeremiah, or one one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, But whom do you say that I am? And Peter, on behalf of all the disciples, said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. When Jesus appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, Thomas, you remember, exclaimed, My Lord and my God. And Jesus never rebuked him for that. He accepted that appellation because it was true. He was his Lord and his God. John 1 verse 1, John, speaking of the Lord Jesus, writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Romans 9 verse 5, Paul says that Christ is God, blessed forever. Philippians 2 verse 6, he says that Christ is in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Titus 2 13, Paul says, Paul speaks of the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, even the demons acknowledged that Christ was God. They called him the Holy One of God, the Son of God. What is more, they were terrified in his presence because they stood in the presence of God himself. There are several other proofs for the divinity of Christ as well. For example, the Bible gives him divine names. In Matthew 1, verse 23, he's called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Also, the Bible describes to him divine attributes. He's called the eternal God. Revelation 1, verse 8, Jesus says to John, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. He is also omnipresent. Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says to his disciples, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He is omniscient. John 2, verse 24, 25, John says that Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He's also omnipotent. Philippians 3, 21, Paul says that Christ is able even to subdue all things unto himself. The Bible also speaks of him as doing divine works. He creates. John 1 verse 3, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. He upholds all things. Colossians 1 17, Christ is before all things and by him all things consist. He even forgives sins. Matthew 9 verse 2, Jesus says to the paralytic man, son be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. The Bible also accords Christ's divine honor. In John 5, verse 22 and 23, Jesus says, All men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, 
which hath sent him. And so the scriptures are abundantly clear. Jesus is fully divine. Yes, he's also human. We'll come back to that in a later, in a later session. But the point of this article is simply to assert what the scriptures teach, that he is fully divine. Well, my friend, do you believe this this morning? As I mentioned already, there are many today who do not believe this. And such people, however, are heretics and antichrists. In 1 John 2, verse 22, John says, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Those who deny the Son are antichrist, meaning they are against Christ. They may be very nice people. They may live very upright lives. They may be very zealous in promoting their beliefs. But they are antichrists, and therefore they cannot and shall not be saved because they deny the clear teaching of the Scriptures and our Lord's own testimony of himself. Now you say, well, why is this so important? What's the practical relevance of this truth for our lives? That brings me to my second point. The doctrine of the deity of Christ has several lines of application for the believer. In the first place, if Christ is divine, then we must worship him. Now there are many examples of men and angels worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures. Think, for example, of the wise men from the east. They worshipped him when he was still a little baby. We can think, too, of Hebrews 1, verse 6, where the writer to the Hebrews declares that when God brought his first begotten into the world, referring, of course, to Jesus Christ, he said, and let all the angels of God worship him. We can think, too, of the Samaritan leper who worshipped him after he was cleansed from his leprosy. Yes, we must worship him as well, my friends, not only because he is God, but because he has accomplished a glorious, full, and free salvation for all of his people. Secondly, if Christ is divine, then we may pray to him and in his name. Jesus himself taught us to do this. In John 14, verse 13, he said, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And in John 16, verse 23, he says, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. We may pray to Christ because he is God. And as God, he has the power to grant our petitions according to his will. What is more, he sits at the right hand of his Father in heaven. And as such, he is able to present our petitions before him cleansing them from all sin and all imperfection. No, friends, we don't have to pray to saints. We don't have to pray to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Whatever we need for body or for soul, we may bring to Christ directly in prayer, for he is God. Thirdly, if Christ is divine, that we must serve him. We must use our gifts and talents and time to honor and to glorify him, to promote his cause, to extend his kingdom, and to spread his gospel. And what is more, we must serve him and him alone. We cannot serve Christ and the world. We cannot serve Christ and mammon. We cannot serve Christ and ourselves. It's all or nothing with him. 
We either serve him completely and with our whole heart, or we do not serve him at all. Fourthly, if Christ is divine, then we must obey him. Whatever Christ has commanded, we must do. No matter how contrary to our will or nature or desires or inclinations, there's not one thing that Christ has commanded that we can set aside. We must obey him in all things. Fifthly, if Christ is divine, then we can trust in him. We can trust in him for all the circumstances of our lives. And what a comfort that is. This life is full of trials. It's full of ups and downs, full of hardships, full of sorrow and pain. Sometimes things happen in our lives that we don't understand. And at such times, especially, we may and must trust in him. We must believe that since he is God, that everything is under his control, that nothing happens by chance, and he will work all things to the good of those who fear him. We can also and must especially trust him for our salvation. In order to make atonement for sin, the mediator that we need must be fully human and fully divine. He must be fully human because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned must likewise make satisfaction for sin and one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. He must also be fully divine so that he might by the power of his Godhead sustain in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for and restore to us righteousness in life. Unless Jesus is divine, he would never be able to bear the wrath of God against sin. And if Jesus was not able to bear the wrath of God against sin, then salvation would be impossible. We would all be lost and without hope for all eternity. Oh, but thanks be to God, that is not the case. Christ is fully divine. And therefore we may believe that whoever believes on him will most certainly be saved. And so we see then that the doctrine of the deity of Christ is more than just a fine point of theology. It has huge practical implications for the believer and for our salvation and for our way of life. It is the very doctrine by which the church stands or falls. We go wrong here. We go wrong everywhere. So I ask you, do you see that today? Do you also believe that Jesus is fully divine? What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he for you? Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. That's banneroftruth, frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I will gladly send you a free copy of the Belgic Confession of Faith so that you can more easily follow along as I explain each of its 37 articles. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. 
That's BannerOfTruthRadio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.